if I can bring in a mobile home for between fifteen and twenty thousand dollars and charge uh, say four hundred and fifty to five hundred dollars rent, it's two and a half x rent ratios, which is really kind of unheard of in the single family home or even apartment space. This is the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan, where we interview local real estate investors and professionals to go over tips, tricks, and investing strategies to help you learn about the business and to enable you to achieve your financial goals. And now, welcome to the show. Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan. Today we have Todd Solzinger. Todd is an investor in the Bay Area that focuses on investing in mobile home parks. In this episode, Todd will tell us how to start investing in mobile home parks and how they can be a better asset class compared to other real estate investments. If you're new to this podcast, subscribe to the show and leave a review. We release episodes every Wednesday and Sunday and release the show notes on our site, everythingrei.com slash podcast. By the way, if you need help financing your next real estate project, check out Conventus Lending. Conventus is the best hard money lender with the best rates and the best service. I've used it for years and they've been able to pull off miracles for us to close on time, all while being incredibly easy to work with. So if you need a hard money loan, contact me at sean at everythingrei.com to get $1,000 off of your processing fee. And if you want to know the secrets of how the top investors in the Bay Area are making huge profits in one of the most expensive markets in the world, download the free Ultimate Bay Area Investing Handbook on our website, everythingrei.com. Enjoy. Go ahead and introduce yourself and let us know what you do. Sean, it's a pleasure to be here. Uh, my name is Todd Solzinger, and I run a company called Blue Elm Investments, and we invest in real estate primarily in the mobile home park space. That's super exciting. So tell me about your background and how did you get into mobile homes? Well, I spent most of my career working in corporate finance and uh, mostly for Silicon Valley companies in networking hardware, medical device companies, and started to invest in real estate in my personal account back in 2013 in the Dallas-Fort Worth market and had a plan just to continue to acquire single family homes. And after a time, I realized it was going to take a lot of homes to be able to do that. And I wanted to try to make a transition out of working in corporate finance faster and started to learn about the world of syndications and raising money from investors to help them invest passively while I managed the assets. And my background in corporate finance was ideally suited for that. So I started to look into different markets and different asset classes and had always been interested in the mobile home park space. One of the things that noted as being difficult in that world is that it's difficult to manage because you can't typically hire professional apartment or single family home property managers to manage them just because it's something that it's just not part of their business. And typically you're working with an on-site manager that might either live on the park or live near the park and professional property managers typically don't deal in that space. So I was lucky enough to find some consultants and property managers that I was able to align myself with who have a great system in place for managing the parks remotely and uh, again, have a great system in place to be able to manage them. And when I found them, then I realized that I could have some good feet on the ground to manage the assets and then take advantage of the other great things that I like about mobile home parks, which is their recession resistancy, their returns that are much better than apartments and single family homes and most other real estate asset classes. So let's talk about your initial investments back in 2013. How did you even get hooked up with Dallas-Fort Worth? Uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the Real Estate Guys radio show, but they used to be based 
physically, Russ and Robert used to be based in Silicon Valley, and they would have monthly meetups locally when it was just 25 or 30 of us in a room just doing meetups uh, similar to the way they are now, but before meetup was even a term. And they would bring in providers from you know, tax providers, property managers, other speakers in the real estate space. And in one of those meetings, they brought in one of their Dallas turnkey providers. And at that time, I just thought, that is impossible. There is no way that you can own properties and manage them remotely, that you can't just drive by them whenever you want and keep a really good handle on the property. But one of the things that they had at that time was a field trip to Dallas. So I went ahead and flew out there with about 10 or 12 other people. And we drove through different neighborhoods in the Dallas-Fort Worth market. And I met builders and property managers and insurance brokers and talked to other people that had invested in Dallas-Fort Worth and just outside of where they lived geographically and started to feel a little bit more comfortable with it. And one of the providers they had had a really great financing package on new homes built specifically for investors where we could get into homes for only 5% down. So, you know, the numbers look great. I didn't have to put a ton of capital up front. They were brand new homes. So I ended up buying two homes about a year or so following that initial trip to Dallas. That's really cool. 5% down for two new construction properties. Right, right. Well, the developer got a really great price on the land after the recession. So he was making money from the sale of the homes. So what the situation was where we, I just got conventional financing for the 20% down payment, and then he did a 15% second. So it was a great incentive for him to be able to sell more homes because he offered outstanding financing. But he still had enough money in the deal just because he got such a great deal on the land when he was able to pick it up through bankruptcy after the recession. Cool. So how big is your portfolio now in Dallas? Uh, well, actually, I, I sold all my Dallas properties this summer. And the reason why I did that, I, again, I've held them since it was probably 2013, 2014 when I made those acquisitions. And I decided to cash out those equity that I'd earned in those houses to apply to my new mobile home park business. So tell me about the pros and cons that you saw from owning a single family home and what you kind of want from Mo Home Park. Well, you know, single family homes are great because they're inexpensive. So it's an easy entry point for somebody who wants to get their feet wet in investing. And I would highly recommend that to anybody who wants to figure out what the investing world is like, because it's one thing to talk about it or even invest passively in a real estate syndication, but to actually own a property deal with property managers, kind of watch the whole process of acquisition and inspections and managing the managers if you're using a property manager. I think that's just really invaluable experience. But it's it's difficult to scale. You know, you run up against limits in terms of how quickly you can grow if you're buying them on your own account with the Fannie and Freddie limits on loans. And I decided from a and also from I guess from a return standpoint, mobile home parks are better than single family homes. And I think the returns being better along with the recession resistancy of them, to me, I felt those were more attractive from an investment standpoint and would give a leg up for me talking to investors about trying to pool together money to put together my own syndications. What do you think are some of the downsides to investing in mobile home parks? Yeah, so downsides of mobile home parks, one of them, like I mentioned before, was that they can be more management intensive. Most parks in the country and the ones that I'm looking at are in the affordable housing play. So the tenant profile is kind of in the CD range. 
they're more management intensive for sure. Due diligence is often a little trickier oftentimes because they're often run by mom and pop operators who have owned the parks for a long time, may not have the cleanest records or the greatest history behind the parks. But that's also where the opportunity lies. I acquired a couple parks in Georgia earlier this year, and we were seeking bank financing and we're going down that path, but the seller's records weren't great because he was accepting only cash from his tenants and he didn't have great records. He had multiple parks lumped into one LLC and it was kind of difficult to break things apart. So we liked the park. We thought it had great potential, but it was getting a little difficult to work with the bank to try to finance it. So over time, we were able to convince the seller to carry back financing for us which we got on really favorable terms. So, so, you know, sometimes the difficulty or the hair around the, the parks itself can make it advantageous as well when you're going through the acquisition process. Exactly. These hard times, or I guess you'd say, these hairy situations create opportunities. So it's not always too bad. Yeah, they do. They do. In addition to the seller financing, the seller had it on the market for couple different times over the last few years and brought down the price at different steps as the deals fell through because the other people that were interested in buying it also were having trouble getting financing. So, you know, we came in probably third or fourth potential buyer down the road. And by that time, he was a little bit worn out, was ready to sell, was comfortable doing the seller financing, and we were able to close on it. So that's definitely one of the benefits. So how did the seller financing work? Go ahead and tell us the terms of your seller financing. Yeah, it was really good. You know, we weren't sure what to offer. And we thought, okay, let's just say, you know, interest only would be best for us. Let's just kind of throw that out there thinking, okay, oftentimes, you know, you might be able to get interest only with a balloon payment after four or five years. So we just threw out there, said, okay, let's do 25% down interest only eight year balloon. And he came back and said he had a note he had to pay off. So he came back with what equated to about a 35% down payment. And he said, let's do it after four years. Uh, you can extend it if you just pay down the terms of the loan $20,000. So no balloon at all until eight years. So that felt great for us because the interest only made our cash on cash returns better. We felt comfortable that we weren't going to have to go through a refinance situation at year four and five, that we had all the way out to eight years to find alternative financing if we hadn't sold the park by then. And so what are your plan to make this property better than it is now? Well, the parks in Georgia, seller had not raised the rent since he acquired the properties in 2001 and 2002, because there were two parks about a mile from each other. So instant opportunity for us. The occupancy was around 85%, but the rents were way below market. So we just knew that over time, if we slowly got rents closer to market, but still below market over the next three to four years, we were going to be able to add a lot of value to the park. So most of it is in just uh, you know making the park a little bit nicer. Uh, we're going to be putting in new skirting, painting, power washing, new signage, put in some new fencing, do some other kind of landscaping and cleanup in the park to make it nicer for the residents. And then slowly over time, get it a little bit closer to market. Even after we project after four or five years for making what we think are reasonable increases to rent over that time period, we're still going to be 25 to $50 per month under what some of the other parks are charging for their homes. Okay, cool. So within what, like a five mile radius, you guys are probably the cheapest mobile home park in the area? Yes, we are. 
Wow. And uh, this owner, he did he like inherit it or he bought it himself back in 2001? He bought it himself. His family has had multiple different businesses. Like currently, he owned, well, before he sold the Steve's Parks, he had five parks, a little self-storage business. His family had been in the grocery business, furniture, just all kinds of different things. And it was something that he had come across as just another small business to run back in the early 2000s. So he's probably not intentionally neglecting it. He just has too many other businesses to run. That is not like his priority. Yes. And the other thing was of the five parks that he owns, these two were about an hour from where he lived. So he was traveling out to these parks two or three times a week. One, because he was really a hands-on manager and he was only collecting cash from tenants. So he had to regularly be out there to collect rent. So it got to the point where it was just too much work for him. He had other businesses that were closer to his house. His mother was ill and he wanted to spend more time with her and just making that couple hour trip two or three days a week was too much for him. And he wanted to get out of that. So you're much further away than one hour from the area. Uh, how are you going to be collecting these cash rents? So that was one of the first things when we took over, we sent a letter to all the tenants to say, no more cash. So that's it. So it'll be a couple month transition because it's going to take people a little bit of time to get used to. But we essentially said after starting, well, actually November 1st was going to be the first day that we were telling them check or money order only, no cash. Yeah, just it's too risky. The manager then would have cash either on her person or in her home. Uh, and then it's just too difficult, too much risk when there's that much cash floating around. Have you ever considered uh, setting them up on like an auto pay system where everything's just done online? Uh, I thought about that when I talked to a lot of other people in this space, the, the tenants typically don't have access to that kind of banking service, or if they do, they don't want to have money automatically taken from their account because they might not get paid in time. They don't have a lot of float or extra money in their account where they'd want to have that automatically come out of their account. It would be great, but not that typical in the mobile home park space, kind of at that C&D class. I mean, we definitely take things for granted. Like I know for me personally, I love everything on auto pay because I don't have to deal with it. But I know there are people who have to go to like a 7-Eleven to quote, you know, pay online. They don't have an actual bank. So they just go to 7-Eleven to pay their bills online. Yes, I've seen it. Several times myself where I've been behind somebody in line at some store and they're you know, getting a money order or something to pay bills. And that's very common. Are there a lot of vacancies in this property that you just purchased? So, yeah. So I just purchased uh, one in Tennessee. Uh, it's a town that's about halfway between Memphis and Nashville. And that one is a huge value add project. It's about 50 spaces. And currently there's only about nine or 10 people living there. So only about 20% occupancy right now. And it's something that you often see in the mobile home park space where over time, the previous owners just neglected it and didn't have the capital to invest in it to improve it. So the seller was a, an 84-year-old uh, woman who has quite a few different properties in this town. Everybody knows her. And this was just one that she had owned for about 15 years and she was actually letting a friend of hers run the mobile home park and let that person just pay her rent for the land. So she was actually just owned the land, but was leasing the operations to somebody else to run. So the landowner decided she wanted to get out. The woman who owned the mobile homes and was kind of running the business, she passed away and her daughter inherited the homes and she had no interest in running a mobile home park business. So this was a great deal because it was actually something that I found off market through the mobile home park consultants I'm working with. And they had managed a couple other properties in this town and in, in the adjacent town. And they'd been talking to this owner for a couple of years. 
asking her when she wanted to sell and if she wanted to. And finally, they caught her at the right time where they were able to negotiate a great price with her to sell it. And so we bought the land from the landowner, bought the mobile homes from the daughter of the woman who had been running it. And uh, we're going to go ahead and take it over and fill the spaces in. Sounds very exciting. So how does that work? Like you're buying two separate things from two separate people. Are you able to finance any of that or is it all cash? It's all cash, right? Because we had to do kind of a pretty quick close on it because I had the park assigned to me from these consultants. So I went ahead and just bought the property myself and I'm going to put it together as part of a syndication later this year. In the park now, there's about 15 homes that need to be rehabbed and repaired and about 24 empty spaces. So we have to fill those homes with those spaces with either new or used homes. So it's going to take some time and some capital to bring it up to speed. So there's like nothing there. It's like an empty lot. Or maybe there's some hookups on those vacant spots? There's hookups on the vacant spots, yes. And on some of them, there's some empty spots with hookups and then some spots with vacant trailers. It's kind of a mix. I would say the average cost to repair is probably going to be between 3000 at the low end, maybe up to eight or 9000 to repair them. And again, like I was mentioning before, the landowner and the person running the park, they just didn't have the capital to make that kind of investment each time one of those went vacant. So it just ended up, they just sat there for a while and they didn't have the money to put into them to fix them up to bring in new tenants for them. So just slowly over time, it became more and more vacant. So the strategy is to just one by one fix up these older ones. If it's a vacant lot, you could probably buy new or used mobile homes to put in there. Right. Yeah, just do like a lot of marketing, make it seem nice, and then slowly repopulate your little village. That's it. And it's so funny that in a small town, it talked to several people, the one attorney, one woman who owns a coffee shop in town, and they all knew where this park was. And they said, oh, I'm so glad you're going to be in the, fixing this up. You know, we, my husband was a teacher and he used to pick up kids in the, that lived in that park. And it, it's such an eyesore and you can see it from the highway. And they were just, a couple of people were just so excited that we were actually going to come in and invest some money to improve the park. Do you ever get scared that maybe the strategy won't play out the way you expect it to? Because like, it's kind of like an unknown factor, right? Where you can do all the work and then what if no one shows up? Yes, that, that's always a risk. Yes. Um, the thing that we really liked about this park was that the town itself isn't that large, but there's a big factory that's being put in by Tyson Foods. So they're huge chicken. So if you go to the supermarket, you'll see Tyson chicken. So they're building a $300 million chicken processing facility in town. And as part of that, it's going to bring in about 1,500 jobs to this town that currently has a population of about 8,500, 9,000 people. And because it's a smaller town, there's not that many housing options. There's no big apartment complexes. There are several other mobile home parks within about a 10 to 15 mile radius. But a lot of people that we talked to during the due diligence process repeatedly said how there's a lack of affordable housing that they're starting to see currently because the processing plant is under construction. And then also they know that once the 1500 jobs come in, there's also going to be a huge need for housing. So it's true. There always is that risk to put in all this work and effort and people don't show up, but we've got some good signs that we feel pretty comfortable uh, that we'll be able to keep the park occupied. And because we're at the lower end of the rent scale, we're going to be renting out houses for between, say, $450 and $600 a month, which would compare to 
houses or apartments that might be renting for between 700 and 1,000. So if people are looking for something that's a detached home that they can drive right up to, that they have their own yard, or looking for something that's a little bit less expensive than a house or an apartment, then it'll make our park attractive. And is the plan to own these homes or is it to like have the tenants own the actual home and then they just pay you for renting the land? Yeah, it'll be a mix, but it'll be primarily park-owned homes. So that would be our plan would be to acquire the homes, put them on the property and rent them out similar to renting out an apartment or a, a single family home. There are currently about five or six tenants that do own their own homes on the park now and will continue to have them rent the land. How much does it cost to buy one of these mobile homes? It all depends like where you buy them and when you buy them and find the timing. Uh, there's actually a mobile home park servicing company just opened about six months ago in this town where my park is. And they, they're a supplier of bathtubs, doors, windows, everything you need to fix up a mobile home. And periodically they'll acquire mobile homes just because it's in their, in their world and fix them up themselves. So when I was out visiting them last week, I went out into their yard and they had recently acquired a house that they were doing the rehab themselves. And it's probably a single wide mobile home, about 16 feet wide by about I think either 72 or 80 feet long, three bedrooms, and they were selling it installed for $16,000. So we've built into our pro formas that we'd be able to bring in used mobile homes in the $20,000 range. So if we can get something for 16000 that we can put on a property and rent out for say 450 or 500, then you know the rent ratio numbers are pretty good. I see why you need to raise a lot of funds now because you said you had that one property that's half vacant, you know, that's like 30 spots that you need to fill. Yes, right. So right, if we have to fill that many at 15 to 20,000 a piece, it's gonna take some investment for sure. In that situation, we'll raise the money upfront for investors, again, all cash, and then make an attempt to refinance ideally after maybe after three or four years, once we stabilize the park and increase the value. And where are you finding your investors? Um, variety of places. It's a combination of people I've worked with uh, in the past, uh, because I've been working in a corporate environment for most of my career. Then there had been people that I'd been talking to that knew I was investing passively, that also knew that I was creating syndication business. So some cases from there. Other than that, people I've met at different meetups over the years that I've built relationships with who have invested in my deals as well as brought in their friends to invest as well. When you finally refinance on the back end, maybe four or five years later, the value of the properties are still going to be, uh, like I think last time we talked, they're a little bit under the $1 million price point, right? Mm -hmm. When you refinance out, you know, hopefully they are above 1.3. So you get like traditional Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac loans. But if they're not, let's say that the value of the property is only $1 million, where are you going to turn to refinance? Well, there are lenders that I wouldn't say necessarily specialize in the mobile home park space, but do have quite a bit of their business in that market. So with the park that I was that I bought in Georgia, when we were starting down the bank financing route, there was a bank actually in Georgia that loans nationwide, but they have about 15 to 20% of their portfolio in mobile home parks and they've slowly started to get into it and they haven't had any defaults and they really like the space. So they were willing to finance it and they didn't have that same million dollar threshold. So the rates were higher. They were probably in the kind of high fives, low sixes uh, with a 20 year amortization. So financing was not as favorable as Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, but still 
it, it's doable to, out there to find local banks that will finance them. So, I mean, as long as you know who you can go to, then you pretty much have no fear, right? Four or five years, refinance, you're good. Uh, I hope so. That's I hate to predict what cap rates will look like down the road because that's a, that's a scary thing. But we tried to build into our performers that things will get worse than they are now. Our hope is that mobile home parks will follow the same pattern that apartments and self-storage have, that people will continue to get more comfortable with them, that they'll understand the business more, and that cap rates will compress over time. But again, that's something that's really challenging to predict. Yeah, I mean, people aren't making more of them either. So you have a smaller supply, but everyone needs affordable housing. So you're in a good spot. Thank you. I hope so. So once you decided, I want to do mobile home parks, what did you do to start getting educated in the field? Well, I had been following some other operators in the mobile home park space for a while. So I was yeah, I was familiar with it. I, I understood a little bit and I was you know, listened to a lot of podcasts, read books. There's a mobile home park boot camp run by a gentleman named Frank Rolf, who's the fifth largest operator of mobile home parks, um, attended one of their boot camps. So yeah, it was kind of education all over the place, seminars, books, podcasts, uh, other real estate meetups that I had attended where I talked to people who were in that space. And I think what you do is very smart. You actually went to, I guess, our consulting company, right? Who specializes in operating mobile home parks to help guide you through your first few before you went on your own to do your own thing. How did you get in contact with this consulting company? Um, I met them at a meetup as well. They are actually based in the Central Valley in a town called Oakdale, California. So a couple hours away from here and met them at a, at a meetup event. And that was really one of the big things that got me uh, over the hump in terms of knowing that it was an asset class that I wanted to really dive into and that I thought I could build a business around. And having that kind of guidance along to go along with me was really invaluable. Like when we were looking at the parks in Georgia, I went out there with their vice president and because they manage 80 or 85 parks currently, they've looked at thousands of parks in their career. It just made it really easy for them to go through the park and know what to look for, what questions to ask, whether it have to be with you know, sewer, electrical, making sure we go down and talk to the police department, go down and talk to code enforcement, just kind of this long checklist of things that I wouldn't have known just myself, even through the multiple ways that I'd been able to educate myself. It was really important to rely on them to have that hands-on due diligence effort. Especially for your first few, you do need somebody to handhold with you, whether it be a mentor or a consulting company. So I think what you did is really smart. Yeah, yeah, it worked out great. And these guys, they were like some featured guests at a meetup or they just happened to show up at a meetup one day? They actually run their own meetup, specifically talking about mobile home parks. In Oakdale? Uh, actually, it was in Pleasanton. So they travel not all the way out to Silicon Valley, but pretty close. <laughs> it's further up. I mean, they went another like half hour up. Cool. So I guess you were uh, interested in finding out different venues. I mean, they have some meetups talking about wholesaling and flipping and meetups talking about uh, multifamily investments. So these guys run specific mobile park investments. They do. And their meetups really are focused around their business of helping people acquire and run mobile home parks profitably. Their main business is consulting. You know, and that, again, that's just like you know, a paid service. Say, hey, if they're going to, like in my case, they help me do the negotiation, all the due diligence, put a plan together to improve the park. And then separately from that, they also offer property management. So they have a team in their office in Oakdale that manages the on-site manager. So 
they have a great process for what kind of reporting, what kind of communication, how they deal with tenant issues, tenant screening, any kind of maintenance or repair issues. So even though they're remote as well, they do have some a few people locally on the maintenance side that are in a few different geographies in the Southeast. And then again, they have a process just for communicating with the local on-site managers, just making sure that they're doing a good job and taking care of the property. Yeah, in addition to me making visits out there, which I'll do you know, a couple times a year, they also periodically send their people from California to check on the parks and just make sure they're running as they expected them to. Great. So what is your buying criteria for when you decide to purchase a property versus passing on it? So my first criteria was looking for properties that were in a place where this consulting company that I'm working with already had a property management presence and had managed parks in an area. So they managed parks in about 16 states across the country. I was staying away from states that are tenant friendly. So that took me uh, out of looking at the states on the West Coast, as well as prices on the West Coast are, are extremely high. So that got me to looking at places like uh, Georgia, Tennessee, Alabama, Arkansas, Mississippi, Ohio, Illinois. So I was able to focus my efforts on a smaller number of states, which narrowed the field a little bit. I was looking for parks that were ideally over 50 spaces. If you go out there on any of these sites, it's amazing. You'll often see mobile home parks or plots of land that have mobile homes on them. It could be as low as five or six spaces or 10 or 15 spaces. And those are just too small. The numbers don't work. You really don't have the economies of scale. So uh, I could eliminate all of those. And then on the upper end, uh, I wasn't looking for parks that were two or 300 spaces. Those price points are a lot higher. The people that are competing for those parks uh, are playing at a different level. So to uh, kick my business off, I was really looking for parks in the, say, 50 to 110 space range. So then kind of after I was able to narrow that down, then it was really looking for value add plays. So I wasn't looking for a park that was fully stabilized that had you know, high occupancy and rents already, already near market. So I was looking for something that I could add value to, which would give better returns to my investors. Do you have a specific like ROI or IRR that you look at, or is it just like maybe a one or $200 per unit increase? As I was putting together the deal for Georgia, the Georgia parks, uh, I was looking for about, let me see, I think it was a 15% IRR over the five-year time horizon. Okay. And again, you said your exit strategy, you plan on refinancing out in maybe four or five years. Do you plan on holding onto these parks for like forever to get that you know safe cash flow, or do you plan on selling it? At some point in the future, yeah, we'll see. You know, I've, I've modeled out uh, through the the syndication for the Georgia parks that we'd actually have a sale. We'll see what the investor appetite is like once that five year mark rolls around. Uh, I think you've got people are in different camps. Uh, there are some people that would say, "Oh, now why are we selling this park now? Right, we're generating fifty percent cash on cash area. This is a great park. We should just keep it." And then you have another set of investors that kind of think, "Okay, you know, five years that was enough. That was a good run. I'd rather." get my principal back, take all my money out and put it into another investment. So I had to, from a IRR standpoint, I had to band it with some endpoint to it. And I picked the five-year mark. So at least we we're planning on selling it at that time, but we'll have to see when that five-year mark rolls around, what the market looks like. And if it seems like it makes sense to sell it at that point. It's interesting because I have the same problem where people always think about like return on equity, right? 
or you know like your your IRR, your return on investment. Right. And like the longer you hold on to the property, the lower those numbers go because you're not actually making more money from appreciation and like you already did the value out of play. The rents are already kind of tapped out. But it's a good property. You know, if I sell this property, I'm gonna end up buying another property for more than this one cost. Like, yeah, technically the IRR is higher, but I'm like, now you have more risk, right? Because every time you trade, there's transactional cost too. And yeah, I know, I know. I mean, again, I've got some investors that go, oh, like five years, really? And then you try to explain to them, well, you know, holding it two or three years isn't really going to give us enough time to add value and really stabilize the property and increase the net operating income to increase the value. And then you've got other investors that go, oh, really? Oh, only five years? Gosh, I don't want to have to keep doing this all the time. If I find a great investment, I would just rather hold it forever. So that's part of kind of matching your investors' needs with the properties and projects that you're looking at. So what are your goals? What are your long-term goals? Well, I plan on continuing to grow this business. I Again, I was able to acquire these two parks in Georgia and one in Tennessee this year, and I plan to continue to do that. Ideally, it'd be great to add another two or three parks next year. I've got a lot of interest from investors who are looking for passive investments outside of typical stocks, bonds, and mutual funds. They're interested in the mobile home park space because it's a it's a little bit different and they understand some of the metrics and positive factors in the same way that I do about what makes the space interesting. So that's my plan is to continue to grow the business and acquire more parks. Yeah, especially when you're just starting out. I'm sure a lot of people do want to invest with you right now, but they want to see your current investments actually succeed. You know, They want to see your plans actually come to fruition. And then once they see that happening, you're going to get flooded with a lot of people who are like, oh man, you're the only guy I know doing mobile home parks. Here's my money. Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. When you get to, when you start, you know, I'm part of Facebook groups and forums and connected to all these people in the mobile home parks space. And you think that kind of every, when you get into that world, you think that like everybody knows about it and is talking about it. And then, you know, you go out and talk to people that are possibly just getting introduced to investing. I know I talked to a few people at your meetup and they were like, mobile home parks. Wow. Like, how does that work? I think I've seen one of those before. And it's a, it's an education process because there's still a foreign concept to a lot of people. Yeah. And especially they don't know that, yeah, these cash on cash returns are a lot higher than single family homes or even multifamily. Right. Right. I mean, like we were talking about before, if I can bring in a mobile home for between 15 and $20,000 and charge uh, say 450 to $500 rent, we're, you know, it's two and a half X rent ratios, which is, you know, really kind of unheard of in the single family home or even apartment space. So do you have any tips for any new investors who want to get into the mobile home space and what can they do to start learning? Uh, I think, you know, education is key. I think this mobile home park boot camp that I went to is invaluable. They do about four or five a year, I think, in a few different places across the country. So if you just kind of want to get really immersed in what that space is like and all the different things to look for and how mobile home parks are different than other real estate investments, that's a good place to learn. There's a few great podcasts out there, uh, several more, I think, that have popped up even in the last uh, nine months to a year. So I just think it's that slow education process to just learn about how it's similar to a lot of real estate investments and what makes it different. Now, if you can go back in time and give yourself some tips, what would you tell yourself? Well, I would think I would tell myself that I should have investigated this space a lot deeper sooner. It's, it, it is hard to kind of imagine what I would do differently because at the time I was again, trying to figure out what should I invest in? Apartments, self-storage, groups of single family homes. What market do I keep going in Dallas-Fort Worth, which I really like? Do I 
do it myself? Do I partner with somebody? All those things that take time to, to work through. So, you know, knowing what I know now, I think if I would have been able to have figured out sooner that there are people out there like these consultants to actually kind of help with due diligence and property management, then I would have started to run a little bit faster. You're talking about like 2016, Todd, right? Yes, right, right. To be honest, I think this is a really cool subject, but if someone has no experience in real estate, like 2013, Todd, if I told you in 2013, hey, go buy some mobile home parks, that's probably too much, right? It, it probably was a good thing that you did start with these single family houses. I agree. To jump right into something like that, I know people that do it. I've, I've either read about them or heard podcasts where somebody just said, mostly because they happen to live near one, maybe they lived in one in the past and they go, oh my gosh, I just got this great deal. It's a 20 space park right near my house. I can look at it, I can manage it and they might be able to, to jump in that way. Most of the time people have another entree into mobile home parks before they do it. So I would definitely suggest that. Start small, but then once you get some experience under your belt and you know how, I guess, the real estate investing world works, then you can try these more advanced strategies like purchasing mobile home parks. But also, if you have no experience whatsoever, you can go to guys like Todd and um, invest in their passive income and invest in their syndications where you can be a passive investor. Yeah, that's a good way. That's actually one of the ways that I got started in the syndication world was I actually invested in somebody else's syndication because I thought, okay, if I'm going to create this business myself, I'm going to invest in the syndication, see what the process is like and go from there. So I think that's if somebody is interested in real estate investing, but doesn't want to do all the hands-on work themselves in general, or wants to learn more about a specific topic, whether it be mobile home parks or self-storage or apartments or a variety of other real estate syndication type products, they can do that as well and just kind of then get comfortable with, oh, okay, this is what's happening. This is what's coming through in the reports. These are the issues that come up. These are what the returns are. Doing it passively is a good way to go. Plus by investing passively, you know how to be a better operator because you can see, I hate it when this guy did not do XYZ. So now you won't do XYZ either. Yes, right. And I found that with the syndication that I invested in, there's good parts and there was not so good parts. So I definitely learned a lot from that. Good. So do you have any other final tips for our listeners before we end the show today? I would say if you're interested in real estate investing, educate yourself, meet as many people as you can to talk to people and find out what your investment fit is, kind of what your personal investment goals are, and then dive in and start to move forward. I meet a lot of people who are tire kickers for years and years and never happen and, and never take action. So you can't make any money on an investment you don't actually put money into. So I think educate yourself and then start to put toe in the water and get started. Perfect. So Todd, how can people get in contact with you? They can find me on my website, which is www.blueelminvestments.com or my email is Todd, T-O-D-D, at blueelminvestments.com. Perfect. Well, Todd, thank you so much for your time and sharing your knowledge on mobile home parks. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks, John. Cool. Take care. Here are some of the key takeaways from this episode. If you want to get into mobile home parks, get educated and find partners who can help you purchase your first few investments. This space is pretty unique and is generally owned by mom and pop owners. So there are a lot of opportunities to improve operations and raise rents. And the riches are in the niches. So invest in niche opportunities like mobile home parks to go faster in your real estate investing journey. I hope you enjoyed this episode. You can find the show notes and other episodes on our site, everythingrei.com slash podcast. And if you live in the Bay Area, join our meetup group where we meet up in San Jose twice a month at meetup.com slash everythingrei. Thanks and have a great day. This was another episode of the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan. 
if you enjoyed the show, leave us a five-star rating. It'll take less than a second, and it'll help a lot. You can contact me at seanpanrealty at gmail.com. That's S-E-A-N-P-A-N-R-E-A-L-T-Y at gmail.com. Thanks, and have a great day.